the question after the rapture uh, of the church, which we talked about last Sunday, uh, is basically this. After the rapture of the church, then what? Then what happens? I mean, to you. Because we know after the rapture of the church, the next thing on God's uh, prophetic plan is the seven-year tribulation. So we know that's going on. And then we already talked about in John chapter 14, after we're raptured, uh, the church is wedded to Christ and he follows the Jewish uh, ceremony based on John chapter 14. If you were here for that uh, sermon before Easter, I explained that entire uh, scenario to you. So we know that the church is the bride of Christ and he will then have his church in hiding um, until the end of the tribulation when he presents her to all the world in Revelation 19 in all of the church's glory. But, but before the, the wedding of the church to Christ, uh, when we get into heaven, and the rapture of the church when God uh, call, calls us home, um, what else is there? Well, there, there's one other item that I wanted to talk about. Uh, you want to talk about it? I, I do. Yeah. So, like, what, what's next? So like, after I, you know, if the trumpet sounds today uh, and God calls you and you, be, you take off uh, and the dead in Christ rise and the, and the saints that are alive go up to meet Christ in the, into the clouds, what a day that's going to be. Um, but but God, would, God loves DC because God always has an intricate plan that is well thought out and probably a very intricate org chart. And so we know that after you, uh, from what we read in the scriptures, after uh, we get into God's presence uh, on, on day one, uh, he, is, he is not finished. The next thing he's going to do uh, is, uh, uh, is evaluate us, uh, to test us, uh, to see the nature of your walk with Christ. That's, that's before the wedding of the church uh, that Christ will have. And so I wanna show you a chart because charts are awesome for the DC culture. So I'm going to show you a chart just to kind of refresh your memory as to what we're talking about. And especially if you're a new Christian, you're having no idea. This guy talks so fast. I have no idea. I, I'm lost. What is he talking about? Okay, so this is the big picture overview for, for you. You ready? So we are currently in the age of grace, post-cross, the resurrection of Christ, age of grace where God is calling all men unto himself. That door closes like the door closed on the ark one day. And the door closes, and that age is closed. And the next age is the seven-year tribulation. The devil, 666, has the Antichrist doing all his things. Status power rises to power. Capitalism, all other forms of, of politics are uh, subsumed within statism. Um, and that whole seven-year tribulation, God tries Israel, uh, purifies his people, and then he comes back with his church, second coming, Matthew 24. Uh, and at the end of the uh, coming of the Lord, he separates the sheep from the goats, uh, the, uh, the sheep walk into the kingdom with him. Uh, we come back with Christ as the church with him, uh, and we enter into the, the messianic kingdom uh, of a thousand years as prophesied in the Old Testament, all over the Old Testament. And then John in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, actually tells us how long that particular Davidic kingdom and empire is. Uh, the, it's not on my chart up there, but we also know that the devil is, is chained up at the beginning of, the, of that particular kingdom age. Uh, and at the end of that age, he is released one more time to deceive the nations, uh, and he does. And they buy his baloney again. They rebel against God, and Christ, or God the Father destroys uh, Satan and all of his cohorts in their final geopolitical rebellion against the Christ, uh, and then we merge into eternity. So you got that? You're not lying? You're going to remember it tomorrow? 
Probably not. Yeah. So hopefully God will put that in your brain. So what I am talking about is the rapture of the church. We've been raptured, studied that last week. Uh, okay, so then, so, so then what? So from what we see of this particular uh, chart, there are two particular judgments in God's plan. Uh, and this is just my introduction to what I want to talk about today. So just hang with me. So, so there are two judgments in God's, in God, God's plan for divine reward. So there, the rapture is, uh, is one judgment, and the great white throne judgment is another judgment. And they're both at, uh, separated by a, a period of, uh, well, uh, a thousand and seven years, uh, to be exact. Uh, you're going to be in one or the other one. Uh, if you're a Christian, you're going to be in the rapture when the church goes to be with Christ. That's the one you want to be in. You don't want to be in the, the second one. That's the dead, the lost, the non-Christians of all time will stand before God, and he will judge them based on their works. Their works will be found wanting. He will ask the angels if their name is in the book of life. The angels are going to tell him because God's book of life is alphabetical. Don't you know it? He looks for the name. He doesn't see your name. Lord, their name's not in here, and their works are, not, are found wanting because the work of Christ is all that counts to cover your sin. Uh, I, I plan on being on, on the first one. Uh, the second one is, uh, is not where you want to be, but that's where Jesus said the, the path to destruction is wide. It's a freeway full of people. Uh, and the road to heaven is a very narrow path. Few be on it because of a variety of reasons. Uh, but there's two judgments. So we are going to talk this morning about what happens after the rapture. We're going to talk about the judgment of believer for reward. Um, so your belief in Christ is going to, uh, in, uh, uh, your belief in Jesus um, is going to usher you into the first judgment, all right? Uh, and your behavior while you're a believer is going to determine how the Lord will reward you. You follow me? I'm gonna, I'll say it again. Your belief in Christ is what saves you, right? But your behavior is that premise by which the Lord rewards you because he's going to reward you. Uh, and co- the concept of, of reward uh, is, is woven all throughout the Old and the New Testament. It's not my idea. Christ taught about it many times. And so if you, don't get uneasy about the Lord rewarding you. He's a good Lord. He's a just Lord. And he's going to reward you for your service. And so what we're going to talk about today is uh, the basic premise that all believers will be judged and rewarded for how well they serve Christ. Some Christians, as you can see around you, look like they serve Jesus better than other Christians. Some of them have moments where they walk away, they're carnal, they sin, they come back, they repent, God forgives them. Uh, and you know, some people's Christians walk is more like a straight shot forward uh, to God's glory. Other Christians' life is kind of like you know, a, a seismic chart. Uh, but, but they're both saved. Uh, but the Lord has promised a reward to all saints and he's also promised that all saints will be judged. Now, bear in mind, this is not judgment for hellfire. Follow me? This is judgment for how well you ran the Christian race. So when you stand before God, as we're going to see, he's not judging you, should you go to heaven or should you go to hell? That's not even the issue. It's like, how well did you serve me as you walked on planet Earth? So we want to look at a couple of things, and we're going to take two weeks to do this because it's so important. So we want to first look at, in, in light of this judgment of believers for reward, uh, number one, there is the concept that judgment and reward is biblical. It's a biblical concept. Uh, not my idea, it's the teaching of the scriptures. So let's, we'll start with Jesus, no higher authority. Uh, Luke 14, verse 13. Notice what Christ says. He says, uh, if you're gonna throw a party, when you give a reception, he says, invite the poor instead of all your buddies. Uh, and everybody that you know, he said, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Uh, and he said, if you do that, you're going to be what? 
blessed. Uh, since you do not have the means, they don't have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid when? At the resurrection of the righteous. So Jesus is so practical. He's like, it's easy to throw a house party with all your friends there, isn't it? Y'all know each other. You know, you like the same teams, hopefully. Uh, you laugh at the same kind of jokes, like the same kind of food, etc. It's easy to throw a, friends, a friend party. He said, uh, no, as a Christian, you should go way above that. Invite people that are kind of hard to have at your house. A little difficult. Like, should they be here? What are we going to do with them? Etc. So the Lord says, you know, broaden your Christianity to reach the really less fortunate, the, the, the people that, that really need the hands and feet of Christ to touch their life. Live like that. And if you live sacrificially like that, he said, on the day that uh, we have judgment, and how many judgments were there? There's, there's two. two. Two? There's two. Believers and unbelievers. On the day of judgment, he says, on the resurrection of the righteous, which happens when? We test here at our church. That happens at the rapture of the church. So at the resurrection of the righteous, on the day of the rapture, he says, I'm going to repay you. He tells you he's going to repay you. Um, now, what is interesting, uh, Jesus uses, uh, this is where Greek is very insightful. Uh, Jesus uses two words for repayment. Uh, uh, mistos is the first word that uh, is another word that he uses for repayment. Uh, and it just typically knows if you, if you work for somebody, if you get a job at Giant as a box boy, I used to be a box boy when I was in high school. So if you're a box boy, you're getting, well, I think I was making 210 an hour back then. I was cranking. You know, you're working, and, you know, uh, uh, then you're expecting to get a check, right? That's your, that's your reward. You're expecting a check. And you're not going to give that check back to the employer. Man, I love and appreciate you so much. Here's my check. Right? Right? You get a check, and you're like, right on. This is, sorry for the 60s term, but, yeah. Thank, thank you for, for paying me for my labor. So Jesus said, I'm going to repay you. Now, there's another word that he uses, Apodithemi. Now, apodithemi is a, is a preposition wedded to a verb. I've told you this before. I'll tell you again because you might have forgotten. If you take a verb and you wed a preposition to it and you staple them together, you intensify the meaning. So didhemi means to give somebody something. Apodithemi means you're going to really give it to them. I mean, in a good way. So Jesus uses apodithemi here to say, you will be uber repaid when I resurrect you. Isn't that exciting to think about? That he's going to repay you. Now, this is just too cool to talk about. That's why I want to spend two weeks talking about it. It's so, it's so important. Because a lot of Christians don't even think about this. Just like I die or, or I'm caught up in the rapture and I, I go to heaven. That's true. But like what else? Well, there's much more. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus gave us some really good uh, advice. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures where? On earth. Why not? The law of entropy. You got, must, you got moths here. You got, you got rust here. You could buy the nicest car and try to keep it. And what's going to happen to it? It's going to be in D.C. Ice, snow, birds, you name it. It's going to rust and destroy that car eventually. Moth and the rust, it's, it's destroy your clothing. Uh, you know, try as you may. Everything here is going to, it, it, the laws of thermodynamics are going to destroy your clothing. So he says, don't, if thieves can break in here. I mean, one of my neighbors a couple months ago, somebody broke in at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. They had an alarm system, signs posted, beautiful day to it in the afternoon, and looted the entire house, an entire gang. That makes you comfortable. You know, I'm like, I got a security system. I got video cameras. I got signs. I do. And does that stop a professional gang? Uh, obviously not. 
Uh, and so it's like, well, you just lost a whole bunch of things to some gang. So Jesus, don't, don't store up stuff here. Now, he's not saying don't save for the future. Don't save for your retirement. That's all, that's all smart stuff. But the word that he uses here for, for store up is the word from which we get the word thesaurus. Did you use Roger's thesaurus in school? Do you? I think I have an original copy. I mean, my copy is well-worn. Because when you're writing a paper, the last thing you want to do is use the same word in a paragraph seven or eight times. Because the teacher's going to circle all those. and You need some variety here. It's like my brain is only so big. So what do you do? Get Roger Satharis. You look it up. You're like, oh, wow. There's a whole bunch of more you know, adjectives I can plug in here. And so that's what you do. That's the word he uses here. Don't, don't have so much money. It's like, who can use all the words in that thesaurus? Can you? You might even look at it and go, what's that word? And he's like, don't, don't have so much on the earthly goods. You can't possibly use it in a lifetime. No, he says, better to store up things on, on, on heavenly turf than here, because that's eternal dividends. This stuff is temporal, and you're going to die and leave it anyway, right? I've done lots of funerals. It, they're all the same. You know, there's a casket, there's a body, or there's an urn. No one's taking stuff. No one, no one is. And so we all go there to say, so Jesus says, store up in heaven, which leads to a whole other sermon series, job security for a pastor, but another sermon series. But like, how do I store up, you know, heavenly treasure? Well, we'll get into that when we get into the next point. But as I live a godly life, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm making deposits in the heavenly bank. So yes, I take care of my family here uh, and provide for them, but not to the point where I don't use those monies to bless people and, and use my gifts and abilities to bless people by serving them and caring for them and doing all the things I'm supposed to do as a Christian. I'm making deposits into heaven. Who wants to get to heaven one day? And Jesus is like, I don't see anything. You got faith, but there's not a whole lot. You didn't make a lot of deposits. So we'll come back to that in a minute. So uh, there is a promise of divine judgment of a believer, all believers, and reward. So you can't sit there and tell me, oh, I'm going to escape this. You know, he knows who I am. He's just going to let me slide. Mm-mm. Everybody. Now, moving on. The path of divine judgment and reward is the next thing we want to talk about. Paul talks about this uh, in 1 Corinthians, uh, well, chapter 9. Notice what he says. Do, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? Isn't that true? When, when they fire the, the gun and they all take off, I live by Lake Braddock High School. <laughs> I hear the gun in my, in my house. But, you know, if, when they start the race, who sits there on the, on the start line and goes, I ain't running this one? No, if you've trained to run, whatever that is, they, they, the little pistol sounds, pff, you're gone, you're gone. So he says, everybody, they all run, but only one receives the prize, right? Run in such a way that you may be a loser. No. Yeah. Uh, everyone who competes in a game exercises no control. No, so you have to exercise self-control in all things. He says, then they do it uh, to receive a perishable wreath, uh, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as a spiritual athlete, Paul says, as not without aim. And then he switches a metaphor, which he shouldn't do as a speaker, mix, mix metaphors. He goes from, from, from running to boxing. Uh, so he's like, uh, uh, I also, I box spiritually in such a way as I'm not, I'm just not beating the air like haphazardly. He says, I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I might not be disqualified. Don't freak out. He's not saying uh, I work at my faith so I don't lose my salvation. That's not what he's talking about. Because he, he speaks in many other places how you can't lose your salvation. He's talking about that I get disqualified in the sense that I didn't run like I was supposed to when I see Jesus, the coach, 
who then looks at me and goes, I can't reward you like I would want to because of all the, well, let's look at the reasons why, Paul, and disqualified in that fashion. So we, if you think about this, uh, if, you, if you look at a runner, like a long-distance runner, they are super disciplined. Uh, one of my friends uh, back in the 70s uh, uh, was training for the 76 Olympics. And actually, when Dave Waddle, I don't know if you remember him, won all those. Well, my friend, Dave Waddle replaced my friend <laughs> who got hurt and couldn't run. Uh, but I watched my friend, his name was Mike. I, I used to watch him in Los Angeles for him to, and I was 18 at the time, when I would watch him run on a given day, like if I did a mile a day, that was a lot. He would do 20. And that was like no problem. He was super disciplined. You think when he's at the school cafeteria, he's hitting all the pasta, he's getting all the desserts, apple pie, chocolate shakes. When we went to In-N-Out Burger, was the original one was right by my college. There was only one of them. We'd go there, and he's not going there with us. He's disciplined. Because when you're running long distance, you don't need extra pounds, right? Meaning to be light, fit, strong, etc. So if you're a, a runner, like an Olympic runner, which is what Paul's talking about, uh, in, this, in this Olympian game, uh, you want to train so that you win. You don't come in last. Are you competitive? Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is a competitive church. I'm not competitive. I'm just late. I'm low back, late key. I'm low key. Um, I am super competitive. I, I can be my worst problem uh, in, in sports because I, I don't like to lose. I like to play to win. Um, and that's just how I always approached sports when I played or board games or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I, do, I do. But my little sister could, or my older sister could always beat me at games, you know, talk on the phone, doing this and that, blah, 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 and still beat me. Drove me insane. But anyway, back to my sermon. So, You've got to be disciplined if you want to win. If you're not disciplined, you're not going to win. So think about your, he's talking about your, your spiritual walk. If, I'm, if, I want to, if I want to do well as a spiritual athlete on the track of Christ, I have to run like I'm going to win. You have to stop and ask yourself, how are you running? If he's going to reward you one day on how well you ran, are you like a spiritual jogger? Yeah, I just move about three miles an hour. And I rest occasionally. <laughs> you know, or, you know, or what? Um, it, there was a guy when I was in high school, I could, I could hit a six-minute mile, but I could never break a six-minute mile, no matter how much I tried. I had a friend named Mike Aguilar, and he's in the, he's in the low five-minute range. And he, I would try, as I mean, he would lap me. He'd lap everybody. He was, a, he was in a machine. And when you think about that from a sports perspective, that's like some Christians. You're doing your best, but there's always someone else that's even more sold out to Jesus. Awesome. Praise God for them. And so when you look at your life, I'm going to ask you a question. Since you're going to have to give account to God one day for how well you're running, what discipline do you need in your life that's lacking right now? I could stop the sermon right there, but you know what I mean? I mean, what discipline do you need? You know, do you get up and study the Bible? Do you get up and read the Bible? Do you get up and pray? Uh, do you get up and pray with other people? I mean, some of our, our men are on the call at four in the morning, I think it is, but they've been doing this forever. Uh, praise God for them. But like, what is your discipline? You know, do you have a discipline for tithing? You have a plan or just haphazardly give to God when you think about it? I mean, what is in your life that needs more discipline? And, and that's what Paul is saying, discipline yourself. Now, in Revelation 22, 19, let's think about this. Uh, they, they ran in the Grecian games for a perishable wreath. We run for imperishable crowns. 
Revelation 22, 11, Jesus says, or we read this from John. Let no one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. And then Jesus gives this warning. Behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward, my repayment to believers is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. So the Lord tells you that on his path of divine judgment and reward, um, if you are striving for daily holiness, continue to do that. And when I see you, I will reward you for striving for holiness because he's absolutely just. He's going to reward you for service rendered unto him. So it's not just I'm like blindly serving Jesus uh, and, and just going to walk around heaven in a white robe. Uh, no, he's going to judge you and then reward you for the service rendered unto him because that's how the, the Lord operates. He tells you that. We want to talk about the process of divine judgment. What's the process once, once we get into it with Jesus? Uh, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul puts it this way. Therefore, we also have this as our ambition, whether we're at home in the body and we're absent from Jesus, or to be pleasing him, for we must all, no exceptions as Christians, appear before what? The judgment seat of Christ. Why? So that each one may be recompensed, paid by Jesus for deeds. Deeds, what deeds? Well, the deeds that you did in, in your body, according to what he has done, whether it was good or bad. Therefore, because we all have good and bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord that he's going to do this, we persuade man, as I'm trying to persuade you today, uh, but we are made manifest to God. And, I, and he says, I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. So Paul says that we as believers are one day going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's telling you. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm warning you in such a way that you have to give account for your, your spiritual walk. Um, what's the judgment seat of Christ? The judgment seat of Christ is called the Bema seat, B-E-M-A, Bema seat of Christ. Uh, it is that raised platform uh, from which uh, the, the Caesars would uh, offer their uh, judgments. It is that raised plas platform in a Grecian city uh, that the, uh, the Olympic runners would stand before to receive their wreaths. Uh, it is that raised platform in a, in a Jewish synagogue at the time of Christ where the Torah scroll was, where they would read the Torah scroll, where the rabbi would teach. Uh, it's the place of the, of the law. And so when he says, the Bema seat, he's telling you, you as a Christian one day, doesn't matter who you are, are going to stand before that judgment bar of Christ. He's not looking at whether you are saved or not saved. He's looking at how well did you run the spiritual race? How well did you run? And we will all stand there. Um, again, salvation is not in view. So how is he going to judge us? This is 1 Corinthians 3. Here's, here's how he will judge us, the process. Paul says, uh, if any man builds on the foundation of, of the church and of Christianity, uh, you can build with uh, components like uh, gold, silver, precious stones, or components like wood, hay, straw. Uh, he says, each man's work will become evident on that particular day. Uh, he says, for the day of judgment at the Bema seat will show because it is to be revealed with fire, divine fire. And the fire itself will test the what? Quality of each man's work. And then there's some conditional clauses. Uh, if a man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive what? A reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved yet us through fire. So he's telling you, no Christian is going to lose their Christianity and their salvation at the judgment seat. They might gain reward, spiritual reward, and they might lose spiritual reward, but they will all be saved. Some will be saved yet as by fire. I mean, they didn't have much to show Christ, but they're still saved. That's what he's saying. 
So we want to analyze this. What is he testing? When you, after the rapture, and he tests the quality of your Christian walk, he's not looking at the quantity. Follow me. He's looking at the quality. He's not looking at the quantity. He's looking at the quantity. So there's a vast difference between the items on the left and the items on the right. You, you, unless you're a farmer and you think, hey, it's more important than gold. But, but gold and silver bars are way more valuable on the planet, so he uses them as an illustration, than, well, hey, you know, and wood, you know, old wood in a barn, it's just stubble. And so you have to think about it. As, as, I, as I look at standing before Christ one day, and I offer him my Christian life, and he tests my Christian life, all of it, in his fire of judgment, be what that is, how that operates, I don't know, but he tells me it's going to happen. He puts your life into his fire to test it. Uh, what's getting vaporized? You follow? Like how much of my life that I, is quality wasn't really quality, you know, because I did it for the wrong reasons, because he's going to test your motivation. And it might just get vaporized. This is very ominous. It should make you stand up and take note uh, as to why you do what you do. First uh, Corinthians chapter 4, notice what Paul says. Therefore, don't go on passing judgment before the time of this judgment, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of what? Man's hearts. I mean, the Lord's going to be busy with people from around our area, is he not? And each man's praise will come from him. You can't go hire 50 attorneys to protect you. On this day, it's you and God. And he's going to say, how was your Christian walk? Well, you might have fooled your pastor, uh, your Christian friends and everything, but uh, uh, no, I see all things. And so he puts your life in there. And what's he testing? He does not care about how much you did. He cares why you did it. You know, motive is a very interesting thing, isn't it? Because you, if you, well, I think about my motive all the time. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I divulge that information, etc.? Did it make me look good? Did it make me look smart? Did it make the person look less? Than blah, blah, blah. We're like, what's your motive? Because motive can quickly be impure. So he tests your motive. Um, now, go back up, and he's going to give you the reason in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 4 um, as to why he's going to do this. He's talking to the Corinthians, and he says, uh, let a man regard uh, us in this manner, like uh, Paul and his teaching team, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Because if you don't have trust, you don't have anything. If you don't have trust in a marriage, you don't have a marriage. If you don't have trust on a, on a team, a leadership team, whatever it is, you don't have a team. So he said, think of us as trustworthy. But to me, he says, it's a very small thing that I might be examined by you judged by you, or by any human court, in fact. I don't even examine myself, Paul says, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, because I have a clean conscience, because he lives a confessional life. Yet, he says, I, I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. He lived in a church. Read Corinthians. All they did was evaluate Paul. He's too short. His eyebrows grow together. He's hunched over. He's kind of weird looking. He's not as smart as he thinks he is. He goes on rabbit trails. Who knows what he's talking about? Have, he's over my head half the time. I like Apollos. He's more erudite. He's more articulate. Has a greater vocabulary. We're the part of the church that follow. It'd be like, we like Pastor Michael. Why? Meat and potatoes guy, right? former military, I can identify with them. You know what I mean? You know, yeah, et cetera, you know? And so you're, you're of the, the Michael camp. And then the church is like, we're of the Marty camp. And no, we're of the Alec camp. And is that what you're supposed to be? 
No. And then they're all judging each other. Well, that's too bad you're over the Michael camp. You know, you'd be over there with the senior pastor. Who cares? Paul says, I don't care if you're judging me like that. So he says, when you think about you're judging me, and if you want to be a pastor, prepare yourself to be criticized quite often. By people you're thinking, on judgment day, I wonder how you're going to fare. Because I know what my motives are. Uh, he says, you're going to be judged. He said, Paul says, I don't really care. You can judge me all you want, but, but I, I'm clean before God. Are you? How are your motives? Um, so he says, don't go on passing judgment before the time because we are so quick to judge other people. But wait until the Lord does these things. And he's going to do it in public. Everything that you ever hid and tried to keep from other people on this day shall be known. Because he's going to do this. God is just. Notice uh, what Jesus says in uh, Luke chapter 12. There is nothing covered up that will not be revealed. Do you get the concept of nothing? And hidden that it will not be known. What's going to happen? Well, accordingly, whatever you've said in the dark will be heard on the light. Whatever you've whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. When? Well, at the two judgments. But if you're a believer being judged, the Lord's going to say, we need to have a public examination of your Christian walk. That, that's a tense thing. I don't know how you feel about it. That's a tense thing because he's judging your motives, not the quantity of what you do. He, and he's, 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 uh, he's, he's wanting to see what's the, what the quantity, but he's wanting to see what the quality is. Uh, I think about this a lot. I really, I really, when I make decisions, when I do things, I'm constantly thinking about my motives. Why do I do what I do? Um, so he's at the judgment seat. He's not, he's not checking your position in Christ. He's checking your performance in Christ. Follow? Um, so what's the conclusion of the, fire, the fiery test of your life? Uh, look at verse 14. If any man's work is, uh, he is built upon remains, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. He, he, he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. So you have to think about, what am I producing for Christ? Is it gold, silver, etc., precious stones, etc., or is it really wood, hay, and stubble? Uh, Luke chapter 6, uh, Jesus says, Blessed are men, you when men hate you and ostracize you, and insult you, and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. He says, on that day, be glad in that day, and leap for joy. Why? For behold, your reward in heaven is great. If, he says, if you are ostracized as a Christian, opposed as a Christian, which many are in our culture, he says, you should be smiling that day, because if you're, if, you're, if you're receiving the opposition with, with love and compassion and the right motive, when you see me and I judge you, I'm going to reward you greatly. Um, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus says, For whoever gives uh, you a, a cup of water to drink because of your name uh, as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. What's this tell you? Jesus says, if your motive when you do small things that are totally insignificant and you don't think they really mean a lot, but you're, you're doing it because you're, as a Christian you're supposed to meet needs, when you do that and you don't sound the trumpet and let everybody know what you did, he says, I, I'm gonna, you're not going to lose a reward. He's going to give you a reward. And I think in Christianity, we tend to think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm serving Christ for reward. No, I serve Christ because I love him. That's why I serve him. And he's just God, so he's going to reward me for service rendered. Do you think I'm going to have to give back the reward? No. We're, we will place, as we're going to see next week, we'll place our crowns at his feet one day, and we'll talk about that in detail next week. We will place our crowns, but it doesn't say that we have to leave them there. He's going to reward you with heavenly things beyond the scope of your understanding to bless you based upon how well you have run the race. This is only just from God. So what type of loss might be in view? Because he says there will be gain and there will be loss. 
uh, he doesn't explain loss. Uh, so what might loss be? And so we have to raise some conjectures. You can argue with me on these. That's fine. I'll pray for you. Um, <laughs> what might loss be? If you're standing there with all the saints of all time and, and they're, uh, you know, the church and they're being judged and you're watching uh, you know, them being rewarded uh, and you're, you already had your time uh, and a lot of your stuff got, got vaporized and you had a little bit of gold left for Jesus, uh, you might be having loss thinking, man, I should have gone to church. Man, I should have got up and studied the word. Man, I should have shared my faith. I should have led somebody to Christ. I should, you know what I mean? That momentary loss, shame that you feel. Uh, and, and we talked about shame when we were in studying the book of John because it says that the appearance of Christ uh, don't have shame on that day because you weren't living like you should have lived. So the, the loss might be uh, your heavenly linen, your, your garment that you wear in heaven. Uh, Revelation 19 says your garment will glow in relationship to how you give. Do you follow me? Notice what he says. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready through this purification of judgment. It has been given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Did you see that? Your clothing in God's presence has a glow about it in relationship to your acts, A-C-T-S, plural. He's not, he's not talking about your salvation. He's talking about your performance as a Christian who pursued holiness. So as he talks about the, the stars in the heavens at night, when you look at them, some burn brighter than other ones, but they all burn. That would be like Christians. But since in heaven there's no jealousy, well, I really wish my garment was like hers, you know, uh, wow, I can hardly look at that guy so bright, you know, that's, wow. Uh, there won't be any of that. There might be momentary loss, but, but since we'll have the mind of Christ, you will be looking at that saint going, praise God for them. Man, and think about this, since he's, he's evaluating your motives and your quality, not the quantity, you could be a pastor of a megachurch and, and get great opportunity for Christ and have a lot of it vaporized when you see Christ because you did it for the wrong reason. You did it for pride. You did it for the wrong reasons. Uh, you could have a, a, a little old grandma in Mineral Wells, wherever that is. Fredericksburg. You know, Spotsylvania. Somewhere. Who just quietly served God, taught Sunday school, led, led Jesus, you know, kids to Jesus, prayed for the sick, etc. And, and she did it for the right reasons. And when Christ evaluates her, there's great reward for her. Think about this. Because God is just. So your clothing, how will it glow when you see Christ? Um, the point of all this is not, it's not about loss. It's about gain because all saints will gain when they see Christ. You're going to gain heaven for sure. You're going to gain a spiritual home. He made you one and it's not going to be a shack. You're not going to look at your home and go, whoa, that's all you built. He, this, Jesus is the master carpenter. So he's going to, he's going to be a wonderful home to entertain and enjoy heaven, but he's going to reward you with spiritual gain uh, on, on the day that he sees you in, in ways that we can't even begin to articulate because we don't understand all that that means. But it's going to be stunning reward. Again, reward is payment for service rendered, and you don't have to give it back to him. So there's an old hymn that I love. It goes like this. I'm thinking today of a beautiful land that I shall reach when the sun goeth down. When through wonderful grace by the Savior I stand. Here's the question. Will there be any stars in my crown? I remember singing that as a kid, thinking when I stand before Christ, I mean, as it were, will there be a star or two that I can show Christ how well I served him because I loved him? 
or will I have just a crown with no stars? But how well do I serve Christ? Uh, my job uh, is to call sinners to repent. And if you're not a Christian today, I call you to repent and turn to Christ because uh, he's coming. Uh, and better to give account for him covered by his blood than to stand before him and think your works will convince him to let you into heaven because that won't happen. But he waits to receive you. And if you're a Christian, my job is to motivate you, to prepare you for the day that you stand before him so that when you stand there, your life is, well, there's much to show for your walk. There's much gold, there's much silver, there's many precious stones because you live the Christian life to the fullest. And all of that takes discipline. Are you disciplined? Where do I need to improve? I ask myself this constantly. Uh, it's been good to have you in God's house. You should be spending some time before him today saying, Lord, I, I want to run better and do better and help me with my motives to do things for the right reasons for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to serve you. Uh, and there's a side of the faith that is uh, ominous. It's kind of spine stiffening. Uh, we are saved if we know you, uh, but, but there's a day that we have to give account for how well we ran the race uh, that you gave us to race. And each one of us is, is a different kind of race. Some are harder, some are easier, but we all need to be disciplined and do the things that Christians should be doing uh, to show our love for you on the day that we stand before you and have to give account. For those who don't know you, might you lead them into the kingdom as only you can draw them, and we give you praise for what you will accomplish because we've studied this great topic about spiritual reward in Christ's name. Amen.